Wow, what a crowd. It's wonderful. Oh, God. I'm Rhea, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm a member of the best group in the whole wide world, and that is the Yana Group of McDonough, Georgia. (laughs) We didn't plan that. No. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here tonight. I want to thank the committee. Thank you very much. Um, And Trish was right. Yesterday I could not remember my story. Today I couldn't remember my name. I mean, it's getting worse, not better. Um, What was that? What'd you say? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you one thing. No matter what else happens in my life, Keep coming back is the key to my future. Because I can't make it without you. I can't make it without the truth that I find here. I can't make it without the God of my understanding who speaks through you. You know, He is in every meeting where two or more gather together. It's the most incredible thing. I can go to any alcoholic anonymous meeting anywhere in the world. And for some reason, they're talking about what I need to hear. What is that? I guess I'll start at the beginning. And the beginning is, you know, I was born in Arkansas, and that's the state where the only virgins are girls who can outrun their brothers. Now, we could talk about West Virginia, but I don't want to go there. (laughs) But, you know, I had a little brother and I could whip him, so not really a big problem. But uh, unfortunately, I had some other relatives that gave me some trouble. And I always thought that these things were my fault, the things that happened to me as a little child that I had no control over. But somehow I thought that I was responsible. Now, I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg. I don't know if there was something wrong with me before or after. But I know there was always something wrong with me. I always felt different. I never felt, I always felt like it was you guys and me. You know, like I was the, uh, had three heads or something. I never felt like I belonged, even as a little child. And I, I lived uh, my childhood like a lot of other people in this room the product of an alcoholic family. Today, when I was getting dressed, I I found my father's lucky little diamond horseshoe uh, tie clip. He's gone. So I'll put it on. I have it on now. And I found my mother's little diamond earrings, and I put them on. And And I began to think about that family. And I began to think of the brutalized childhoods and the victimization of women in my family, and the alcoholism, the curse that has been in my family for generations, what they call the Irish Troubles, you know, Troubles. And it goes back and back and back. My grandmother was an alcoholic, and it just goes on and on. You know, and then I began to think, that chain is broken. That chain is broken by my life today. And I wept for my mother, who always only wanted to be loved. She was a diabetic, strange. 
you know, and was married to an alcoholic, and they didn't understand what was going on, and they were married for 36 years, all their whole lives together. And for 30 of those years, they didn't know what was happening and what was wrong. But there was a lot of sadness and a lot of fear and violence and unhappiness, and it goes back for generations. And I truly believe that's what is meant by the sins of the fathers being passed on to their children. It's the terrible curse of repeating over and over again the only things that we learn, the things that we know as children. We, we go out. I went out and married Dad. I mean, you know, why would I do that? I was scared to death most of my whole life. And why would I do that? Because I love a drunk. I love a drunk, drunk or sober, right? Everybody in my life has been the same kind of person. Some of them have been in worse shape than me, but that was just for me so I could say, well, if I ever get like you, you know, I'll do something about myself. But I never got like them because I kept changing playmates. I never got like them. I was never as bad as they were, you know, until I finally ran out and I was all by my little self. But anyway, I, I went through my early life with a lot of brutalization, you know, sexual abuse, and not from my father, but from family members. And uh, when I graduated or didn't graduate, when I got out of high school, I quit high school in my senior year. I did a lot of things like that. I could go 50, you know, 50 yards in any 100-yard race. I mean, I could halfway do anything, but I could never complete anything. I couldn't finish anything. I didn't know how. I didn't have the equipment. I didn't know how to have a relationship with anyone, a friend or, you know, uh, or a, a mate or anything else because we can't transmit something we haven't got. You know, I can't give you something that I haven't got. I did not know how to love anyone. I had no clue. All I knew is what the world told me. Go out there and get it if you want it. And if it belongs to someone else and you want it, try to take it away from them. Use whatever you got. Get it. You're on your own. Look out for number one. And all it did is ruin my life and everybody who knew me. Everybody's life that I touched. I was that tornado, man. I was roaring. And I thought I, thought I was way cool. I was living on the edge, and I thought the only people that really had it were the people that were right on the razor's edge with me. And all the rest of the people, those poor saps, I mean, getting up in the morning and going to work, going to school, church, I mean, God, they must be bored out of their mind. Families, you know, I had a couple of children by a couple of different husbands, and I left them with my mother so that I could do what I needed to do. I needed to find myself. You know, I looked everywhere, let me tell you. I, I, I don't know. By the time I was about, oh, I don't know, about 35, 36, you know, I had several ex-husbands, two children with different last names. I had lost all my stuff. I couldn't work. I, you know, I had done a lot of different things. One of my high points is I had a mechanical bull. It was an intellectual endeavor. It was in a nightclub in Gulfport, Mississippi. My best friend owned the nightclub. We're sitting around snorting coke and drinking whiskey. And he said, you know what? We need to do something so you don't have to do anything and you can make money. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. <laughs> so, so he said, okay, well, what can we do? You know, what can we do? Well, I don't know. Let me do another line. I'll let you know. Yeah, have a drink. Okay. So we finally figured out about 4 o'clock in the morning, I could go get this. I could go to Texas. 
I could go to Gillies, I could buy a mechanical bull, I could come back, we'll put in a nightclub, and, you know, it'll just be great. I, 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 I sort of failed to check on a few things, like insurance, you know. Uh, but that was like one of the high points of my career doing that. I mean, I sold real estate for a while. I was really good, only I just couldn't keep selling it. I just couldn't keep going. I couldn't keep doing anything. You know, I didn't graduate from high school. Oh, it was so sad. I mean, a sad story. All these ex-husbands running around, you know, and I'm like, you know, I don't know what's wrong with these people. Now, somebody told me one time, look, if you've been married about five times and the only common denominator is you, However, I didn't believe that. I knew that it wasn't me. I was fine. Thank you very much. And we all know the definition of fine, right? Anyway, I rocked on for a long time, living this way and trying to figure out what was wrong. Now, now this is what's so interesting about life when you're drinking and drugging. You're trying to figure out what's wrong. You know, I wonder what the problem could be. You know, I just can't figure this out. You know, I'm smart. And the thing that people used to always tell me that I hated so much was, you have so much potential. <laughs> and I hated that word. Potential what? You know, what, what? Help me, somebody. Anyway, I finally married some guy. I mean, you know, he was just on his last legs, poor so. <laughs> By this time, you know, this is, I've run out of all options, so what do you do, you know? Well, let's see, you know. What have I got? <laughs> so you get married. We won't go there. Anyway, so my poor mother, she said, you know, don't, don't do this. You know, don't, this guy's not going to be able to speak in two years. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, you don't understand. You know, when we get married, he's going to quit drinking. You know, I, had, I didn't have a problem, you know. Uh, anyway, so I married this person, and a couple of years later, I mean, he was in pretty bad shape. And I, and I remember saying, you know, I have a pattern. I don't know if it was revealed to you in your fifth step, your pattern, but I've got one. And my pattern is, if any time there's anything wrong, I'm leaving. I quit, I go, I divorce you, I leave. Whatever it is, I'm out of here. That's my pattern. So I was at that place in the road where I said, you know, if you don't do something about yourself, I'm leaving. He probably didn't even know I was there. <laughs> yeah. Who are you, you know? <laughs> I think I saw you in the kitchen, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, a few days later he says, man... You want to, you know, I've got a friend here, and he's talking about these meetings, and, you know, and they go to this stuff, and they do, you know. And so I, I said, well, hey, if it'll help you, I'll go. Sure, you know, whatever. So we started going to these meetings, and they put me in this room with all these women, you know, and they're just, hey, 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 talking about these guys and what they, you know, and I'm like, so? And it turned out I was in an Al-Anon meeting, you know. <laughs> that lasted about two weeks, and they said, honey, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> Anyway, they sent me over to this other place, over to this other part of the place, and I'm going to these meetings, and I, you know, and they said, well, and I'm going with my husband, and we're going, you know, and, and they told me it was about 30 days later, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, 30 days later, wow, you know, I'm not drinking, I quit, you know, I quit, hey, it'll help him, 
So they, in Arkansas, they gave you your chip in the beginning of the meeting, and, you know, they gave me this little 30-day chip. And I'm like, hey, cool, I got this 30-day chip. And about halfway through the meeting, I figured out that I wasn't supposed to be smoking dope. <laughs> Man. So I gave them their chip back, you know. <laughs> I want your chip. So anyway, so I started over. And I thought, okay, 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 okay. And things got really weird. I mean, I'm not drinking. I'm not drugging. You know, I'm just sweating. <laughs> I can't sleep. I can't find my car. I mean, it's in the garage. And I don't know what's, what's wrong. And, and I can't drive. I can't do any of those things. And these had some friends, and they would come and get me, and they'd take me over here. And I didn't go to treatment. You know, I'd already been there for two weeks, so I didn't go to treatment. And in Arkansas, you, if you want to go to over a couple meetings a week, you had to go, you know, 40 miles over here and 20 miles over there. So they're dragging me all around. And um, about, I guess about 90 days later, I was, I, I, was, I was doing a little bit better. I remember thinking early on in one of these meetings, man, if I could do this stuff, I'd go straight to heaven. You know, I mean, it seemed like, it seemed like, these people had to be pretty holy to be doing this stuff. I mean, they weren't drinking, they weren't drugging. I mean, what did they do? I mean, what do you do for fun? Like Sandy says, well, what about bowling? You know? So anyway, I started going to more and more meetings. And I started feeling a little better. And I remember I told somebody one time something I had done. I, I stole some money from somebody a long time ago. Nah, nah, or something. And I said, well, you know, whew, this step. Glad that's out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't so bad, you know. So I rocked on for about a year and a half, and I'm going to a lot of meetings, and we're talking about the steps. Boy, we talked about the steps all the time. And it was just wonderful, just talking about them, you know. Only I didn't have a sponsor. Well, I didn't really need a sponsor, you know. I mean, I'm in pretty good shape. Some of these people are pretty sick. <laughs> pretty bad. And I hadn't worked any steps. Of course, I, you know, that fifth step, I guess that counted. And long about, oh, December, 1987, I went to Alabama to a funeral with a girlfriend of mine who was not in recovery over the Christmas holidays. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, we're there and all this, and we do the funeral, and we're going, and we're at the hotel, and it's New Year's Eve, and she says, hey, you know, I'd just really like to go down to the bar, you know, just to go down. It's New Year's Eve. I said, sure, let's go. Now, I'm like Jim in the big book. I identify with Jim. I mean, I really do. Uh, because right before I ordered that white Russian, I had a feeling I wasn't being any too smart. <laughs> you know, now I've been to 150 AA meetings. Now I've talked about the steps till I'm blue in the face. But I have no defense against the first drink. None. I'm a goner. I got drunk. I mean, I sort of came halfway to about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm in some restaurant somewhere with about 18 people. I don't even know. Okay? All I can say is, thank God it was a restaurant. Okay? Because you know and I know that we don't know what we're going to do. We are not trustworthy human beings. Not under those conditions. So I almost died of alcohol poisoning. I mean, I had to have a drink in a year and a half. 
And here I am, I've got 20 white Russians under my belt. I mean, that's only a double shot, like 40 shots in, what, four or five hours. And I had to, we had to drive back to Mississippi. Was it Mississippi? No, it was Arkansas. <laughs> I knew there was a wrong state in there somewhere. So we had to drive back to Arkansas, and now I'm getting scared. Because I have realized I'm an alcoholic. Holy. It was like the first time I think I ever really knew that I was an alcoholic. Because I didn't know what I was going to do. I had alcoholic thinking, like Jim. Alcoholic thinking, which was a whole different thing than what I thought I had. And that's the difference between alcohol and alcoholism, is alcoholic thinking. Since I had no defense against the drink, I was terrified. I knew, finally, you're going to die. What are you going to do? I've been to all these AA meetings. They didn't work. I mean, this is what my head is telling me. Not a very trustworthy source, right? But that's the only one I was listening to. And that's what I always tell my people. You know, please stay out of there. Do not visit your head alone. Take a guide, for God's sake. It is your enemy. So anyway, I go back and I'm starting to go to all these meetings. I'm going to meeting, meeting, meeting. I'm going everywhere. I'm scared to death. I know something's terrible. I know. Now look, I've been to 150 AA meetings. All we've done is talk about what you're supposed to do, and I can't figure out what to do. Anybody identify with that? I cannot figure it out. I'm like, man, I, I wonder. So uh, I'm about 90 days sober, and I go up to a little uh, convention up in northeast Arkansas called Springtime in the Ozarks. Absolutely gorgeous. Dogwoods are in bloom. It's held at the end of the Ozarks. I'm in a little motel across the street called the Joy Motel. It's an appropriate name. Anyway, Saturday night they have a big doings, and you're supposed to, you know, put your, put your dog clothes on and, and go downtown, these little trolleys and all this. And that, then they have a big dance at the end. And so I, I, I'm, I'm getting dressed. I'm getting ready to go to this speaker thing, and I go to my door. And I am so filled with fear I cannot open my door. I cannot go out. 1,500 alcoholics, and I can't open the door. So what I, I do what always works for me, right? I change clothes. It's got to be that. <laughs> what else could it be? Of course, it didn't work. I have reached the end of myself. I've reached it. I didn't know it. Finally, about 8, 30, 9 o'clock, I got on my knees. I'll never forget it. And I told God, whom I did not understand at all, but I said, if you are there, whoever you are, I will go anywhere. I will do anything. I will talk to anybody. But I cannot live this way anymore. I had worked step three. Only I wouldn't know it until sometime later. So I finally got over to the and something changed. I was able to go. You know, I, I felt something different. And I was able to go over to the dance. And that's the night I met my sponsor. When the pupil's ready, right? Um, my sponsor was a man. All these women in southeast Arkansas, none of them had worked the steps. They were in the same shape I was. We talked about them. Nobody had done it. Nobody had done it. So nobody grabbed me by the throat and said, hey, girl, come with me, which is what I needed. And I needed a hard case. I, I found a big book thumper that liked to beat me to death with the big book. <laughs> I mean, I was a hard case because I knew everything. I was stubborn as a mule. You know, I was smarter than anybody. I mean, and I was almost dead. You know. I was two things at once. I was lower than a snake's behind, and I had what filled with arrogant pride. I don't know how a person gets to be that, but that's where I was. 
So this person sponsored me long distance from St. Louis and gave me all the, the worksheets and told me exactly what I needed to do, and they came out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And there was a resentment sheet and a fear list and a sex inventory, and he showed me how to fill them out. And told me to go home and do it. In two weeks, he would fly down and work me through the steps, and he did. And what was revealed by the way this was written, which is out of the big book, is the pattern of my life. When I, when I got with my sponsor and I went through, like, the resentment list, I was able to see that I had solved my problems in the same way over and over again. I had lived about 20 years of my life. I had lived one year of my life, excuse me, about 20 times. Only the names had been changed to protect the guilty. It was just the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. And I was in this, like the little, like the little, uh, the little rat guy that goes around in that little cage. That was me. I, I didn't know it. I, I was never able to see any of this. But the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous revealed it with the help of my sponsor. And it was just like we had it written down which we very seldom follow directions. I don't know if you've noticed that about us. Or look in the book to see what it says. And my sponsor used to tell me, I would call up, he would say, well, the answer's in the book. I'd say, well, where? Look it up. Look it up. And so he had me in that book all the time. I'm like, okay, where is it? Money. Where's money? Right? Where's job? For sex, I can't find it anywhere in this book. <laughs> but when I, when I got with my sponsor and did step five, and now I just want to tell you, I've never done one single thing in this program willingly. Nothing. The only thing I ever did willingly in AA is go to the dance. <laughs> That's it. Other than that, it's been, you know, by the throat. I have to do what I don't want to do to get what I want. See, I have to do that over and over and over again. See, and I had spent so much time in my life thinking about me. I mean, I spent 24-7 thinking about me, thinking about me, thinking about me. What about me? What about me? What about me? What am I going to get? Am I going to lose? Am I going to get? Yeah, yeah. And the more I thought about me, the smaller I became. And, and I got smaller and smaller and smaller until I disappeared. I was like this little tiny thing left. Because I had concentrated totally on myself. I had lived a completely selfish life. I never thought about anybody else. I never cared about anybody else. I wasn't capable of it. I wanted to, and I could see that other people did. But I thought there was something wrong with him anyway. So as we worked through these steps, and we did the sex inventory, and the sex inventory about who I've hurt. It's about who I've hurt, not what I did. And who did I hurt? I heard everybody that I came in contact with. As a female, I used my sexuality, not necessarily sex itself, but my femaleness to get what I want. I used it as a tool. I demeaned myself in that way to get what I want from you, hopefully without giving you anything. <laughs> you know, I had to come to grips with all this. I had to come to terms with this. I had to look at myself and see the truth about me. Not a very fun time, it wasn't. But you know what? When I got done with that, and I began praying in that list that my sponsor made for me when I, when I wrote Step 5, he made the list, and I prayed it for two weeks. 
for everybody on the list, uh, including you know, the U.S. government, the Catholic Church, and whoever else. Catholic Church, really, I had a hard-on for the Catholic Church. You know, and the interesting thing about that is, is I went to Catholic boarding school for many years, and these nuns were the, the only time I ever felt love in my life. The only time I ever felt somebody cared for me when I was with those nuns. You know, they loved me and were good to me and probably saved my life from all this brutalization and other things that had happened. But meantime, you know, I was mad at everybody. I hated everybody and everything. And I, that was revealed. I mean, I, I didn't think I did, but when I started writing it down and I asked God, you know, show me what I have resentments against. I mean, I couldn't start writing. It was like every my dog, my cat, my uncle, my cousin, my, you know, whatever. Everybody. You know, the highways, the grocery stores, you know, just everything in it. Lawyers. I'd had a lot of dealings with them. So anyway, I had to look at all these things, and I had to come to grips and come to terms with the fact that I had lived my life the way I had lived it. And that, that like the chapter of the agnostics talks about, that I had to change my mind about everything. Everything that I had believed was wrong. Every single thing about what I believed was wrong, including how tall I was. I was even wrong about that. I, I promise you, I was wrong about that. I was wrong about everything I ever thought. And you know, the good thing about that was, when I was able to begin to see that I had been wrong about everything, it began to open my mind. It began to open my mind for the first time in my life. And there lays hope. Because a closed mind can learn nothing. I can change nothing if I am not willing to see some other possibility some other way, some other idea. I had to let go of my old ideas. Now, this crazy sponsor, I had a crazy sponsor. He was crazy. He used to drag me all over the place, drag me to church. I didn't want to go to church. I thought that thing would fall in on me. Drag me to prayer meetings, Bible studies. We'd go and have, he'd have a bunch of sponsorees over at his house and they'd and they'd turn the lights down, and they'd have a quiet time. And, and my sponsor would say, just pray for willingness. Just ask whatever you believe God to be to help you to be willing. And I would do it. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And I would feel better. I would feel a little bit better all the time. So anyway, after I prayed on this list, and I went out and I started making amends. Now look, I love a rush. I'm a rush freak. I love them. You know, I don't think I've ever had a rush like Step 9. I've done a lot of different kind of drugs and a lot of different kind of stuff, but Step 9, boy, blew me away. Because that's the first time I could ever look the world in the eye. After I, I made some amends, the first amends I ever made was to a neighbor whom I had just ignored because I ignored everybody. Now, I mean, I'm in four walls and I'm thinking. I'm thinking hard, you know. And so I went to this neighbor and I said, you know, I'm really sorry that I have been such a poor neighbor and just have thought nothing about you or your children or your family or if there might be something that I could do for you. And it was the most incredible experience. She gave me this big smile and said, you know, I really appreciate that. Won't you come in? I mean, just a simple little thing like that. I felt nine feet tall. And that was the beginning of my new life. I mean, I have had a new life from that moment to this. Because I had to change my mind about a lot of other things. I had to change my mind 
about God. You know, it says in our big book that God could and would if he were sought. I got the could and would part. He could and would. Here I am. I'm here. Could and would. Yes, Lord. Here we go. There's another part of that. I'm always dropping words in the big book. Do you do that? I just sort of drop one out. It's like one of my sponsorees called me up one time. Over, she was over at some guy's house, and she said, Are the Ten Commandments still in effect? <laughs> She's here. <laughs> and I said, Yes, Nancy, go home. <laughs> Oh, me. So, you know, what I found out later about all these things that crazy sponsor was doing to me, dragging me to all this stuff, all this square stuff, right? All these square things, you know. Uh, he was giving me what early AA did. You know, that's what they did. They sought God hard. That's what they did from morning to night. They had uh, meditation meetings. Do you know that I listened the other day to AA number three, I think in about 1950, a talk of his. And he said in early AA what they did is they never even had, had a person that was going to lead the meeting. They would go to the meeting, and they would have a quiet time for about five minutes. And after the quiet time, somebody would say, well, I think it's supposed to be you, George. Now, this is people that were depending on God for everything, for guidance in every, every single area. And that just blew me away. Just blew me away. And I started thinking about AA business meetings. <laughs> You know, and where is God in there? Do we invite God in there? Let's don't go there. So anyway, so I had to keep changing my mind. I had to keep changing my mind about all these different things. And as I continued to grow, I got involved in sponsorship. And, you know, the, the thing that changed my life the most was working the steps. And the thing that changed my life next the most was working other people through the steps. Because not only have I been able to experience the miracle, the miracle that happens to people, you know, when they come in with one blue sock and one green sock puking on their shoes, you know, you know those people. And then 90 days later, here they are. And, and the miracle of, of the light of God is shining in their eyes, being a part, being able to be a part of something like that. And then they go out from there and sponsor other people. And you begin to feel inside yourself that you are worthwhile that you are God's child, that everything that you do is important, and that your priorities have been completely upside down your whole life. The world tells me to do certain things. The world tells me to go out there and get it. In God's economy, if I want more, I give more. You know, the world tells me that a new car or a new lawnmower or a new anything is going to make my life filled with joy, right? That's what they advertise. They advertise God without saying his name. They're, they're saying, this is going to complete your life. This is going to make you happy. Everybody's going to want what you got, kid, if you will get one of these, right? And God says, think about others. Give up yourself. Get your mind on somebody else, what you can do for somebody else, and you will be set free. And as I began to do these things, unwillingly, unwillingly, I remember early on my sponsor said, i tell you what I want you to do. I want you to call three people every day and ask them how they're doing and try to listen. I'm like, 
What do I care how they're doing? <laughs> I don't care. He said, I don't care if you care or don't care. Do it. So I started doing that. And I'd say, call up, you know, hello, Louise. This is Rhea. How you doing? And she'd start talking. I'd go, yeah. You know, but eventually, a little at a time, I did begin to care. You know, I did to begin to engage with Louise. And it changed my life. It changed my life. What's, what's just totally fascinating to me in my life today, it is the simple things, the small things. See, the big things I can handle. I can handle an earthquake. No problem. It's getting from my car to my work when I want to kill people. You know, it's not the big, it's the little thing. It's everyday life. It's living intimately in a relationship with another human being. You want to call on your spiritual fitness? Get married. <laughs> I'll show you where you are. One of the Bible teachers I listen to, Joyce Meyer, has got a new book out. It's called God Help Me, I'm Married. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I haven't read it. I haven't read it. But I've got it. <laughs> you know how we are. Yeah. So anyway, I, I have to keep on changing my mind. I have to keep on realizing that I'm wrong. I'm wrong all the time. I got involved in service work. Oh, my God. Oh. I cannot believe the ego that lives in this body. I mean, I can do everything in my power to think about somebody else, and you give me this much power, and I will go berserk. And one of the committee members was telling me, if you've never been on a committee of ten alcoholics, you've not lived. <laughs> I mean, everything that we do today teaches us how to live with each other. Every mistake I make, everything I do wrong, every time I mess it up, teaches me. I've got to change my mind. I've got to change my mind again about this and that and the other. One of the best things that I'm able to do today, and I don't do it willingly, but when I'm wrong, I go back and say, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Can you forgive me? I get a lot of different stuff out of that. First, I get spiritual growth out of that. I, I gain some humility, which I need very badly. And also, how many times can I go apologize for the same thing without changing myself? Right? How many times will I do that? There's a limit. So if I will face myself and I will look at what I'm doing, say, man, I, I'm really sorry. I'm wrong. And I'm thoughtless and selfish today, thoughtless and selfish, just many times. And I, and I try to warm my way out of it by saying, well, I didn't do it on purpose. Well, but I did it. I did it. You know, what I have found out is that I can go along and I can build something and things can be just going so well and I can tear it apart with about 15 words. Tear it right down to the ground and then have to begin over again and rebuild and humble myself. Not that I don't need to be humbled. Because if I can get rid of myself, then I'm totally free. If I can live my life with he becoming greater and me becoming smaller, then in this, this thing called life, my vessel is very light and easy. 
and I can flow right through. Whenever I don't have to have an agenda, whenever it does not have to be my way, whenever I am not afraid to say, well, whatever you think, when I am not able to uh, abide by the general consensus, when I'm not able to listen in a meeting because I just can't take him anymore, he just goes on and on and doesn't say anything, and God is trying to teach me, you know, these are all small things, but these make the difference in my life. If I can't, I will never have a lot. If I can't be trusted, if you can't leave your nickels and dimes laying around at my desk or in my house, how will I ever be trusted with dollars? It's the small things that count. In my life today, it is the small things. It is the things that we say, well, you know, that towel's not important. The hotel won't miss it. Those are very important things. I mean urgently important. Because if I can't be trusted in small things, then I'm never going to be trusted. And I have found that when I go down the road of rationalization and I wind up in a mess, it's always because I've rationalized small things. Just little things. You know, this lie's not going to hurt. I'm a liar. I've been a liar all my life. When I was a child, I, one of the first things I learned, I went to so many different schools, I just wanted to be loved and accepted. So I would tell you anything. I'm a bareback writer. I'm a trapeze artist. I mean, I'd tell you anything. You know, and I could make you believe me, too. I was good. And, you know, we've learned these skills so well, trying to be an alcoholic and dodge, you know, the wife and the husband and the this and the that and the other. I mean, we're great. We can look at each other with a straight face and say, no, I only had one drink. No, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stop, you know, I'll be there 15 minutes. And I'll be right home. So we've had a lot of practice lines. You know. God is so good to us. Look at this room. Look at these people in this room. Look how good we clean up. I mean, He's given us every blessing. He's given us the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which shows us a new way of living. And He's put the directions in there. You know, this book is for the people that have already been to hell and have come out. And it's very simple things. Either God is everything or He is nothing. Right? Either He is everything or He is nothing. And if He's everything, He's my new employer. He is the Father. I am His child. He is the principal. I am his agent. I have to carry the vision of God's will into every day of my life. All these things are simple things. You know, the world, many, many people of the world have known these things for, for many, many centuries. But I came without directions. I, I mean, I'm a person, I came, I, I mean, I, I was the one, you know, the box, but you don't know how to put it together. Well, that was me. I have never known how to put it together until I got here with you. You showed me how to put it together and how to make it work. Just one day at a time. That takes all the pressure off. Man, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. You know, I heard something very wonderful. And when I'm sitting around contemplating my navel, sometimes I think about this. I like to do that. I have a lot of other addictions. I'm a book freak. Books were one of the first ways I ever escaped from reality. Love them. When I was a kid, I remember learning to read because I'd been to so many different schools. I mean, and I just love it. You know. 
I'll read anything, but, you know, soup cans to keep from facing something. Ah, ingredient salt. <laughs> Just don't confront me with the truth. I don't want to see that. Let's see. Uh, bacon bits. You know, anything. I mean, I'll go anywhere and do anything to keep from seeing the truth if you'll let me. That's why I need so much help. That's why i got to keep coming back to these crazy meetings and listen to all you guys ramble on sometimes, right? But do you know what? When I first came in, I would go to this little treatment center meeting. I'd sit there, and sometimes I'd laugh all the way through the meeting. I'd get tickled about something. I'd just laugh like crazy. You know, they're looking at me. And then sometimes I'd get sad. And I'd cry all the way through the meeting. And you know what they said at the end of the meeting? Keep coming back, honey. Keep coming back. It gets better. <laughs> so, man, you know, I've had to learn a lot of things here, and I've learned it all from you people. I seek God strenuously all the time. I encourage you. Seek God. Now, be, what does it say in the big book? Be quick to see where religious people are right. I mean, I always hated religious people. Bunch of hypocrites. Well, I see them on Sunday. I'm not here. They've got something. And I don't have to go by anything else. I can ask God to reveal Himself to me in my prayers. I can ask Him to reveal Himself to me. I don't have to take anybody else's word for God. And I promise you this. You pray. And if you don't have a God of your understanding, you ask God for 30 days to reveal Himself to you. Just ask Him. I'll give you my card later. You can call me when he shows up. I'm telling you. And that's the key to this life. The key. When we lose that, we've lost everything. Because there is nothing else. There is a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. First, of course, I had to realize then, obviously, I must be insane if I needed to be restored. You know? I'm still crazy sometimes but I'm not insane anymore. I have a kit of spiritual tools that I can pick up at any time. I know what the solution is. You've given it to me. In the steps, in the prayers, in the meditation books, in the stories, in the 12 and 12, in, in the meetings, if I will only listen and open my mind up to be changed. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so just glad to be alive tonight. Just what a difference that is. Just what a miracle that just one small thing is. To be glad to be alive. Because there was a time, 14 and a half years ago, when I just wanted to die. I just wanted to, to just end it. I had no hope. I had, I had no life. I was spiritually dead. There was no way out for me. There was no way out. And then I stumbled into these crazy rooms with these crazy people. And I found a new world and a new universe and a new way of life and a new way to solve problems. I don't have to hit anybody anymore. I don't have to curse anybody. I don't have to throw anything. I don't have to run away which I always run away. It's all right to be who I am. It's okay to be where I am. 
You know, I wish, I really wish that I was better, that I was more recovered than I am. You know, that day comes when I never have to say, you know, I'm sorry. That day comes when I, I don't hurt other people that I love. But that's not where I am yet. But the journey that I have come on, the place that I came from, I am so far from there. See, I am so far from where I began. And that's the way that I, that I, that I look at it. And I love you. I love you. You mean so much to me. You mean everything. I can't stay away from you. I just can't, you know. All the things that have held me back, all the dark parts of my past, I've been able to give them away to God. I'll share anything with anybody on a one-on-one basis if I think it'll help that person to understand that they too can be forgiven. You know, I had to learn that I, that it was arrogant of me not to forgive myself because God already has. Now, there's many, many other things. I can stand up here and talk to you for six weeks. But I know you've got some other things to do. But I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the time that you've given me and your kind attention and the beauty in your faces and the glow that I see there. Because I know many of you have much more time than I do. And I know, like Mr. Bill Root, it works for 45 years. Thank God I need to know that. I need the old timers, the people that have been here before me. I need them so that I know that they can do it, that I can do it. They can, I can. Just one day at a time. No matter what happens. If I will just have less of me, and more of him. Thank you.